are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only with it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for one of the Ultra Player of the Years that I'm going to talk about later in this episode. Obviously, we can't have Player of the Weeks anymore because the Pistons have been eliminated from the playoffs. So I'll mention to you guys one of the players that stood out to me in 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 a fun stretch from them. But per usual... I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me on Twitter, at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me over on YouTube, at Coos Ballroom. You can find me over at Detroit Bad Boys, writing articles about the Pistons. And like I let you guys know at the beginning of every podcast, I was a credentialed media member for the 2019-2020 season, so that kind of makes me a big deal. Uh, we have an, another reoccurring guest today. We got Bryce from Motor City Hoops. I'm sure you guys have seen him. If not already, make sure you guys follow him on Twitter, at Motor City Hoops. He has amazing breakdowns. Now that the Pistons season's over, he's been breaking down a ton of stuff from the playoffs is it's one of the reasons why I really like connecting with him because his, his film breakdowns, me and him see a lot of the same things. And I, I like doing film breakdowns, getting depth in depth with some of the plays, not just on the surface. And he, his stuff is really good. So make sure you guys follow him on there. Bryce, thank you for coming on, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Cool, man. I'm excited. Whenever uh, I, I saw your message, I was, I was excited that you were asking me back on. I had a blast the last time. So I'm excited for this episode again. Absolutely. So on today's episode, we're going to start off talking about some news that just broke out. Uh, today is June 1st, and I believe like an hour ago, uh, John Beeline was just hired by the Pistons to be their senior advisor for player development. So we'll talk about that off the bat. And then also we'll get into Frank Jackson versus Josh Jackson. Who would you rather have? And then lastly in the episode, we're going to answer some of you guys' mailbag questions that you guys sent in. But first off, Let's talk about John Beeline. Bryce, what's your reaction to the Pistons hiring John Beeline? And do you think this is a good hire, bad hire, time to tell, or only time will tell? Do you have to wait and see, et cetera? Just what's your thoughts on Beeline being hired by the Pistons? Yeah, you know, honestly, Koo, I, I feel like I'm in a little indifferent with this. I don't know that this moves the needle a ton for me. I just don't know how big his role is going to be. You know, John Beeline is 68 years old. I don't know. You know, I, I realize, I don't want to say he doesn't have enough energy, but like how much stuff is he doing on the court? I just feel like he's going to be another guy in the room with Dwayne Casey, Troy Weaver, and the staff that's just a good basketball mind. Like, you know, John Beeline's known as an innovative basketball mind. He had great player development at Michigan, but I don't know how much he's going to be on the court. I know his biggest knock, right, Koo, is going to be his relationship with his players. That did not go well in Cleveland for him. Um, you know, with the NBA players in the NBA game. But to have another basketball mind in the room that maybe thinks outside the box in some different ways, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. Yeah, I I agree with that last point you said. I don't think it's a bad thing to ever have as many. Actually, at some point, I think it is if you have like clear structure and you just have a bunch of people just throwing things around and there's not like structure about who's the boss and who's next and who's after him, whatever. But majority of the time I don't have ever a problem with just assembling great basketball minds that can work together especially like someone like John Beeline who has had such a large history of basketball especially at Michigan at developing their players etc that that program 
However, there's there's two things I'm seeing right now from people on Twitter and Piston fans that that's really rubbing me the wrong way. So the first thing that's really rubbing me the wrong way is that this is not one of those. So like with a head coach, you can use like past experiences and be like, okay, well, this guy does this really well with X and O's, blah, blah, blah. This is a good hire for this team. Um, if he's the senior advisor to player development, you are quite literally incapable of saying whether this is a good hire until like three <laughs> to four years down the road. <laughs> like so you true. are incapable. Like, like the only way you know whether this is a good hire is if these players develop. And we have no clue whether they're going to develop until like three or four years down the road. So all of you guys are already calling it a great hire. Like you literally have no clue whether this is going to be a good hire until like we see whether players developed or whether they didn't. Uh, I'm also not saying that it's a bad hire, but it's just like really rubbing me the wrong way and kind of getting on my nerves that everyone's just going, oh yeah, this is a great hire, blah, blah. This is going to be great. It's like, you just don't know if it's a good hire because it's legit around his whole job is going to be built around things that don't come to fruition or seeing results until multiple years down the line. So it's not well, something you really will know. Go ahead. And, here, and here's the thing to, and I know you have a second point coup, so I'm sorry, but to that point, yeah, he developed players in college, but that's different than developing players in the NBA, right? Like I'm a high school coach just because I feel like I develop good player, you know, develop players at the high school level. That doesn't make me qualified to go to the college level and develop players. Like it's a different game. The the players are different. Their mentality is different. Your relationships with them are different. So just because he has a track record of doing it successfully at Michigan, that's great. It's a great track record, but that doesn't automatically mean it's going to translate to the NBA game any more than a head coach does or an assistant coach or players for that matter. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I saw some of the points being said was that, oh, he did like he made Trey Burke look like one of the best players in the country. He like uh, he, he helped Tim Hardaway Jr. at Michigan, whatever. But like if you're going to mention Trey Burke, like Trey Burke was good in college. But then like he I'm like, I'm not going to say he was a bust or anything, but he is not like he like met his expectations at the NBA level. I, I think some people would call him a disappointment of some sort. Um, he definitely has like had a second uh, act in the NBA that really has helped him. And it's nice to see, but like that, he didn't really have to do anything at the NBA level that would make you be like, Oh yeah, John B. Lance is trucking out these NBA prospects. I mean, here's some of these other players that he had. He has a few good ones with Duncan Robinson, Karis LeVert and Tim Hardaway Jr. But he also has DJ Wilson, Moritz Wagner. So it's like, and these guys aren't like great NBA players. So it's, I, like, like you said, him developing and having a good program at college, I don't think should like make should like make you hundred percent confident that he can develop NBA players because it's com- two completely different things. It's like Jay Wright, like Jay Wright with Villanova, like we've talked about with Sadiq Bay and other guys. Jay Wright has got a reputation for developing NBA ready players. You know, he develops them for the NBA game. And so that's completely different. So developing a guy, making a guy better at the college level is completely different because it is a different game. The college and the NBA game are completely different. And so I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but I didn't feel like Michigan's reputation with John Beeline was he was developing NBA ready guys. He was taking unranked guys out of high school, turning them into really college players that eventually got drafted. But Jay Wright's reputation is I'm making NBA ready players, i.e. Sadiq Bay. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely a great point. And I think I just found what my trailer for this podcast is going to be tomorrow. I'm just going to take Bryce's whole point right there <laughs> and make that the trailer tomorrow. I really loved what you pointed out right there. Um, but my second point that I was going to make about it is you kind of hit on it. It's undeniable to bring this up. And I don't know why people are just like throwing it to the side because, well, 
his obviously his tenure with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And obviously he's not the head coach here. They're not asking him to be like I would I would assume he's not going to be around all the time or anything. Like I I'm I know he's probably not gonna be like that. But literally the specific reason why John Beeline left Cleveland or got fired by Cleveland or mutually parted ways, whatever you want to call it, literally the center reason was his relationship with young players. That was legit the main thing that they talked about. That was his main disconnect that he struggled with the Cleveland Cavaliers' young players. Now, you can say whatever you want about the Cavs organization. You can say whatever you want about some of the Cavs' young players. You can say whatever you want. But when a guy's literal like reason why he was fired was his relationship with young players, if he's then hired at, for a job that specifically is to mentor young players, that's going to get brought up. Like I, I don't see how you can say that should just be thrown out the window. And specifically when – and Bryce, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not here. But like the big thing to me is that – if you're going, the big thing is trust. Players have to trust that you're going to do what's best for them. Like you're, you're setting them on a plan. That's what's best for them. So if players don't feel like they have a good relationship with you, they don't feel like they can trust you. They don't like you. Like if he can, if he struggles with that type of relationship or to gain trust with players, like I, that, that's going to hurt development wise. That's going to hurt, hurt that. So I'm not saying that's going to doom him. I'm not saying whether it's a good hire or bad hire. I'm literally in the camp of wait and see, because you're not going to know anything. Like I said, until years down the line from now, but there are points for good hire. And then there's also a point to bring up for why this could blow up in their face. I, I just don't see why people are just dismissing that Cleveland point just because he's yeah. not the head coach. The, the relationship thing is so huge. And you're so right, Koo. Like, I'll, I'll play from my own personal experience. You know, I played college basketball and I, I had a great individual development coach that tried to develop my skills but we didn't have a good relationship and so I pushed back against him like I didn't want to do it I you know I didn't want to do the individual workouts I didn't want to work on the skills he wanted me to work on and and looking back now I I'm so mad at myself for pushing back against him but he never we never developed that relationship where I really trusted him and really believed that he had my best interest for me and the team and and it probably was dumb like it was selfish on my part in the moment but that, that is huge because you're dealing with kids, you know, you're dealing with young adults who, you know, that, that's part of the deal. So the relationship part is huge. I'll just say this, Koo. When I first saw it on Twitter, I was like, oh, that's cool. John Beeline. And then I scrolled Twitter more and realized everybody was talking about it. If it wasn't for that, I don't know that I would think it's that big of a deal. Like I, I was kind of indifferent about it, to be honest. But you're, you're right. It seems like people are a lot are very big one way or the other when you make a great point. We're not going to know till three or four years down the road how much of an impact this really has. Absolutely. I, I agree with everything you said. So John Beeline hired by the Pistons as a senior advisor to player development. We will find out in a few years whether this is a good hire, but let's take this, take the part of wait and see. We don't know yet. So this like, let's be patient and just see what happens here. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Frank Jackson versus ja uh Did I say Frank or Josh already? But you said Frank. Frank. You, yep. Yeah, so so both the Jacksons. That, that's, <laughs> that's what I'll say. The two Jacksons against each other. Which one is, is better? Which one should we keep or the Pistons keep? Who do you like more, et cetera? We'll talk about that when we come back. But first, let me tell you about who brought me some of the most joy, happiness, and enjoyment this year and what a specific stretch, which is going to be Josh Jackson. I'm going to pick Josh because and there's going to be a few players as we continue out throughout the offseason. But first, I want to bring up Josh because at the beginning of the season, I think feel like there's a lot of uncertainty about what he was going to bring to the team. However, 
when he he ended up taking the starting lineup like two games into the year, and some of the drives he was doing at the beginning of the year was some of the most confident and aggressive stuff I've, I've I saw from him all year. You could tell that he was having fun, and you know that joy creates success. So if he's having fun out there, he's going to be more prone to having good games. So not to mention some of the chase down blocks he would have at the beginning of the year. I feel like that kind of dwindled as the season went on. I believe at one point earlier in the season, I tweeted out that he and Michael Porter Jr. were one of the only with the two only wings to be averaging one block and one steal a game. So at, at that point in the season, I feel like Josh Jackson was really good. He had made me made my enjoyment a lot better watching the Piston games, and I had a lot of fun watching Josh at the beginning of the season. So Josh Jackson is going to be my Michelob Ultra player of the season right now. Player of I, I should I say player of the season? I don't. I'm not saying he's the best player in this season, but that stretch right there is just something I wanted to point out. So he's going to be my Michelob Ultra player of the season for today's episode. So we're going to talk about Frank Jackson versus Josh Jackson right here. So Bryce, I tweeted this out today and there was a ton of people going back and forth with this. Uh, when I first tweeted out, there were a ton of people who were uh, like the first, I believe like eight or nine answers were straight up Frank Jackson immediately. And there was like no thoughts about it. What kind of shocked me. Uh, I, I'm not going to say where I stand on it yet, <laughs> Uh, but what, where do you stand right now on it? Oh, th- this is tough, man. Whenever you told me this was going to be one, like I was excited because I like these tough questions, but I wasn't excited because I have to say an answer. I just love Frank Jackson, man. Like I just loved his game. I love what he brought. I love offense. Like that's my thing. I was a shooter. I was a scorer. Um, wasn't a very good defender. I appreciate defense. I understand its value. And Josh Jackson is underappreciated as a defender. You just brought it up with your Michelob Ultra, you know, player of the year for the day. You know, Josh Jackson, his blocks, his steals, he's a really good wing defender and a, a good shot blocker for a guard for a wing. But I love Frank Jackson's game this year, man. And I, I think there's still more growing in Frank Jackson. Um, and so if I had to, it's probably not the smart decision, Koo, but I'm, I'm going to make this decision with my heart, and I'm going to say Frank Jackson. Okay, so before I, say <laughs> where, before, I, before I say where I'm going, let's go ahead and just throw some stats out here. So Frank Jackson, over the last 30 games this season, he averaged 12.4 points, shooting 47% from the field, 42% from deep, 81% from the uh, free throw line with a 62% true shooting percentage, and he was a plus five on-off difference. So – Pretty good. I, I think I think we can sit back and say that was pretty damn good. <laughs> yes. How, however, I'm 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 rocking with Josh Jackson, and I and to be honest, I believe one of you guys tweeted at me and made this like one of the Kool Aid segments or or a mailbag like a two weeks ago or something. And I was leading Frank Jackson at that time, but now that I've done research and like I, I've thought about it more, I, I honestly think the easy I, I I ended up making an easy answer for Josh Jackson, and uh, you know this this is what I'll say about it. Josh, I feel like it's it's just that Frank Jackson won. It was over 30 games, so it's like a smaller sample size. So I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain that next year or over a larger sample size. Uh, we'll see if it happens, but there's that concern with Frank as well. Uh, he's 6'3", and I think I feel like he could probably be picked on on defense once the Pistons start winning. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but if we're like splitting hairs here, I feel like that should be brought up. And then also, I feel like Josh has also the higher ceiling. And I feel like Josh affects the game in so many more ways than Frank can. So one of the things I brought up last episode, I was basically praising Frank Jackson. But one of the negatives I brought up last episode was the fact that Frank Jackson over this time averaged more turnovers than assists. Now, yeah, that's fine if like his main role and his center role 
is to simply be like, come off the bench, score the ball, and go sit down when, when we bring you out. Like, all we need you to do is just shoot the ball. Don't worry about passing or anything. We just want you to score. If that's the kind of role that he ends up carving out for himself in the NBA, I mean, that's fine. There, there's roles for people like that in the NBA. However, I, I feel like Josh has so many different ways to impact the game. First of all, I think he's much better defensively. He affects the game on defense. He's really long and athletic. Uh, he's active on the boards as well. I, I pointed that. I had a film breakdown pointing out how he uh, helps out on the boards and how that creates opportunities for himself and the team. And also offensively, there's there's room for him to grow, obviously. I think his biggest concern is his decision-making, which I've pointed out many times. But on, on offense, Josh is capable of getting to the basket. He's capable of drawing fouls. And at times, one of the most frustrating things about watching Josh is he shows the ability to make passes that should make him a legit threat on offense at all times. It's just that his decision-making makes it to where he doesn't like he doesn't make that pass all the time. So I, I just feel like that there's multiple ways in wh- which Josh Jackson impacts the game. Also, he's much bigger than Frank, which I feel like makes it to where he can switch across and play is more useful in a playoff series. Uh, that's just my opinion. So I, I don't know. I, I lean towards Josh. I like both of them. I don't want to – like I'm not saying I want to pick between one of them, but I think at this point, I think Josh was better than Frank, obviously, throughout the majority of the season until Frank came on uh, around, I believe, March 15th. But I feel like Josh was just – he impacts the game in more ways and he was better the majority of the season than Frank. No, I, I agree with you, Koo. Like, I, I will readily admit, Koo, that I'm making this decision with my heart and not probably, like, my <laughs> basketball mind because everything you said is right. Josh is the all-around better player. He's better defensively. You actually do make up a great point, make a great point, not make up, make a great point with his size that he can switch across positions. You can't switch Frank Jackson out on guys. He actually is kind of that tweener combo guard where you actually don't know who to put him on defensively, and you kind of almost need a bigger guard with him when he's on the floor, even though he's not a true point guard. I I do think he has high-level scoring ability off the bench, but he's not going to do much else for you. I think that's all he's going to do is come in and score the ball. I think that's a huge thing you need in the NBA is somebody like that in the Jordan Clarkson role that he plays for the Utah Jazz. I'm not saying that's his ceiling, but that role. But you bring up probably my biggest issue with Josh Jackson, and that's like his, he can, he does, he can get to the rim anytime he wants. He can get to the lane anytime he wants. His decision-making is so not good most of the time. And I just don't know that that's something that's going to improve. And and I don't know if I brought this up the last time I was on, but I'm a KU fan. I, I grew up in Kansas. So I've watched Josh Jackson all the way back to college and these issues, these frustrations of the inconsistency went all the way back to then. So I, I think that's part of it as well. As much as I, I love KU and and all of that, I just I I just don't see that stuff getting better. Yeah, I, I think that obviously well first I want to say about Frank Jackson's scoring ability. I think there is an argument to to be made that if Frank Jackson just becomes one of those guys who's going to shoot like forty two percent from the field uh the three point line, close to forty eight percent from the field and and score like 14, 15 points off the bench, I think there's an argument to be made that while Josh may impact in multiple ways that Frank Jackson simply scoring that efficiently off the bench probably impacts the game more itself. So I think there's an argument to be made with that. Go ahead. Real quick, Koo, sorry. Like, I just want to say that that's my caveat with Frank Jackson because three-point percentage-wise, it's gotten better every year, but he he took a huge jump. Oh, you know, he went from 33% last season to 40% this season. If that takes a regression back, then his value – obviously decreases like one of his biggest value is especially on this Pistons team is being able to shoot 40% from three so that is a huge caveat with me is that three-point shooting 
So actually, there's another thing I want to point out with Josh Jackson, or not Josh, but Frank Jackson as well, that can like work in his favor. Again, I think I think it gets to a certain point. It's kind of like how I feel with Steph Curry as well. Like, like people, obviously, I, I feel like most people understand this. Like he's not going to have like the biggest impact defensively, obviously, as someone like maybe LeBron or Giannis or other players like that. But the amount he impacts on offense is what makes his impact more than some of these players. I think that what keeps him in the argument of like, best player in the league kind of thing. Because at a certain point, it's not just about if you can impact it in multiple ways. If your singular impact outweighs everything else, it, it doesn't really matter. So I think there's a there's an argument that Frank Jackson could get to that point versus Josh Jackson off the bench. Uh, I'll point this out. So like on Synergy right now, they had him in the 93rd percentile this season in spot up. He had They had him in the 96th percentile in transition. And then also... I think something else that needs to be mentioned with Josh, uh, Frank Jackson isn't just the fact that he's simply a shooter. Like he has a lot in his bag. Yes, he, yes. It, it's he has an in between game. Like I, I, me and me and Bryce are actually talking about video games before we uh, <laughs> record the podcast. But if you guys play two K, I mentioned this last podcast. He's legit the definition of what you see on two K: the three level score. Like he can score from all three levels. I think that also is a uh, really good impact as well. Like uh, right now. I'm looking at synergy as well. So all jump shots on the on the court from everywhere. He was in the 75th percentile on his runners, which is all in between games. He was in the 66th percentile, which was ranked very good. So it's and if you watch uh, Frank throughout the season as well, is he's able to score from basically everywhere on the court. He can shoot from deep. He can shoot mid range. He can. He has an in between game with his runners and floaters. And also something that like popped off the screen to me this year that I didn't really know about was the fact that he has, like, these insane hops and is yeah. able to, like, jump over guys if he really has to and draw fouls. So that that is the only caveat. While I'm going with Josh because he, he just affects games in more ways, I feel like he, he can last on a playoff team because he, he can't get picked on. And hopefully he develops more. They're both young. They both can get much better, by the way. Um, I, I do think that that's the caveat with Frank Jackson. If he gets to a point where he's just so good offensively off a bench, that it doesn't matter if he's not that good defensively. He's just going to outweigh his impact on offense. It's going to outweigh anything Josh can really do you, in that so areas. So these stats really stood out to me because I think Frank Jackson is way better at the rim. You brought up the athleticism, the hops. So Josh Jackson was 62% at the rim this year, okay, um, from basketball reference. Frank Jackson was 59% at the rim. So, I mean, essentially, and now Frank Jackson's sample size was much smaller. He had far less attempts. And then between three and 10 feet, Josh Jackson was 38%. Frank Jackson was 54%. So those numbers back up what you were talking about, like that three-level scoring. It's not just about shooting. He can get to the rim. He has the in-between game. So he does have that all-around scoring game. It's just can he do it whenever there's a larger sample size and more volume. And then you brought up a good point with Josh Jackson. You know, Josh Jackson almost is considered a vet on the the Pistons team. He's only 23, and Frank Jackson is 22. So it's not like you know Josh Jackson's only been in the year in the league one more year. So they both still have plenty of room to grow. They're both very young players early in their careers. Yeah, so I think I think nobody wants to pick between them. I think <laughs> that obviously it, it's it's going to get a little crowded with Hamadou Diallo coming back, which I'm yes. going to assume, and Frank Jackson coming back, and it, depending on who they draft. But I think that's a good issue to have. That, that is a really good issue to have when you have multiple guys who seem to be really good prospects that you basically got for – I mean, you got Frank Jackson for free. Yeah. You got Josh Jackson for really cheap. And Hamadou Diallo only cost you Svee Mikhailik, which I think Hamadou has proven that he's just a way better prospect than uh, Svee was. But I think this is a good problem to have. I don't want to pick between them, but if I did, I'm probably leaning towards Josh Jackson right now and – 
Bryce is leaning towards Frank Jackson, but he's a, he's saying that it, it it does have a lot to do with his heart, apparently. So so it is. It and, is and what it is. Cool. So, you know, just to, to plug the, the locker room app and what you're doing on there, we talked about this on that, right? You brought this up about Troy, Troy Weaver stockpiling. You talk about how this is a good problem to have. You brought this up about how he has all these different guys and what, however we end up utilizing them, whether that's packaging them, them all developing, whatever it is, he's done a great job stockpiling you know, assets, if you want to look at these guys this way. And, and we're talking about Frank Jackson and Josh Jackson, you know, as – can we, you know, which one would we rather keep? And that's a good problem to have when you have that many good players. And then what's Hami's role in all this? So you brought up a good point when we were in that locker room talking, uh, talking about that. That was Troy Weaver's done a great job with that. Absolutely. So thank you for mentioning that locker room. You guys can find me on locker room again this Saturday for the Lockdown Pistons room somewhere around, I'd say like two or six, two to 6 p.m. somewhere in that time frame. I will let you guys know. But when we come back, we're going to answer some of your guys' questions in the mailbag. Uh, we can also talk I, I honestly there's something else I want to bring up about Frank Jackson and Josh Jackson as well we're gonna hit that a little bit and then we can get to you guys's questions but before we do that let me tell you guys about your guys's favorite sponsor Built Bar best tasting protein bar on the planet earth comes a variety of flavors including six new flavors and caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia lemon almond carrot cake and apple almond crisp all flavors are covered in incredible tasting chocolate and are soft and easy on the teeth to chew these bars are low in calorie and sugar, but high in protein and fiber. The flavor I suggest is the peanut butter flavor. Packed with 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. So go try a Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. And then let me tell you about another one of our sponsors, Line AG. Betting is now legal in Michigan, and if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there was one problem I constantly ran into. There's so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which one is the best for me? That's why I found Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season might be over, but the NBA and MLB are still in full swing. If you want to take your adventures beyond sports, however, BetOnline has you covered there too. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, and make sure to use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And before we get into it, on today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So give a little update on what's going on with the NBA playoffs right now. As we're recording, the Brooklyn Nets swept, or not swept, they won in five against the uh, Boston Celtics today, 123-109. Currently, the Lakers are without Anthony Davis tonight. The score is 13-10 to the Phoenix Suns. Do the Phoenix Suns pull it out tonight? I think they do. Uh, and then also we got a close one here with the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers get, series is tied 2-2 and the third quarter is tied at 65. Bryce, do you think that the right now, do you think the Denver Nuggets or the Portland Trailblazers win this game? This game or this series? This game? Yeah, um, this game. I, I'm going to take the Trailblazers. I think the Trailblazers are going to win the game. And I know you didn't ask me, but I think the Blazers are going to win the series also. I, th- I just don't think the Nuggets can overcome the Jamal Murray injury. And I love Damian, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Those guys are big time. 
Fair enough. We'll see what happens. Uh, you guys obviously will be listening to this podcast after the results all happen, so you'll be able to see if Bryce was right or not. My, my um, predictions are historically wrong, Koo, so you guys can mark it down. The <laughs> Nuggets will win. The, will have won the game and are going to win the series. So, you know, make a bet. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. So, like we were, we were mentioning, we were talking about Josh Jackson versus Frank Jackson before we went to the break. But I think, like you said, you mentioned that we were talking about this on, on Locker Room. and. At some point, I don't believe that all these prospects are going to be here. So, including Josh Jackson and Frank Jackson, you brought it up, so I'll talk about it. Uh, Troy Reaver's doing a great job at stockpiling his assets right now and having a really like packed treasure chest right now of just people he'll be able to move on good contracts. Like Not even just the young guys as well with Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo right now, um, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, but also... Like, the veterans' contracts aren't, like, on bad contracts either. Like, Mason Plumlee very well could get traded this offseason. I had him in my top three most likely Pistons to be traded on last on uh, the last podcast. And then, honestly, down the road, too, if this comes to fruition, which I don't think it's going to happen, but if it does happen, Jeremy Grant's on a, on a, a contract that's movable as well. So it's like he has a bunch of assets, he has a bunch of contracts that are very movable, and he has a bunch of uh, younger players who are attractive and earlier in the career showing promise that teams would like to have if he ever decides to like pull the trigger on a trade to get a star or a better rookie or or a better young player, whatever. Like he he's slowly but surely stockpiling enough assets to get that done. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if in within like the next two to three years he he pulls the trigger on something and we see a lot of these young guys go. Do you think that could possibly happen, Bryce? Yeah, we talked about this, right? Like we talked about if I know a lot of Pistons fans are worried that we're not going to get one of these top three or four picks. Like in my opinion, you want to be in the top three in this draft. Like I believe big in the top three guys being franchise changers. I changed my opinion on that after you get through the top three. I know most people have Jalen Suggs, maybe even Kaminga. I don't necessarily. And I think if you miss out on one of those three then your next option is possibly free agency. I know you've got into this. We don't have to get into that with the destination of Detroit and free agency, but it may be a trade and you may have to, as much as Pistons fans don't want to do it, you brought this up, Koo, and I know it's not an easy thing to say, so I respect you for saying it, but we may have to you know, attach a Sadiq Bey or somebody like that to a trade to go get a true superstar because this team needs a true superstar. I don't think there's a number one option or a true franchise guy on the roster right now. And if we don't get him in the draft and we're not able to get him next year in free agency when the Blake contract comes off, then the next best option is through a trade. And the nice thing is we will have those assets to do that trade. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I like, I understand everyone loves the young players, but especially like, even like, I want to point this out. This is, I, I thought about this obviously because Bryce brought it up, but because like the Josh Jackson first Frank Jackson thing. Like it's a good situation to have the fact that the Pistons have so many guys that you can like pin against each other. Like, Oh God. Okay. So which one do we have to pick? And it's the fact that it's actually an argument with so many guys shows you that they have a ton of young prospects. They have a ton of good players on this team or not. I won't say good players. Cause obviously they were the second worst team in the league this year, even though they tried their hardest to lose multiple games in the past <laughs> month. So that didn't help. But I feel like a lot of these guys on this team, some of them may not be stars, but I think a lot of them, almost, I'd say close to all the rotation players, probably are could be rotation players on other teams as well. So I think that has value as well for, especially for guys that are young. So you, they don't you need to be this, stars. You did the segment right where you talked about whether guys could be play, you know, can could play on a playoff team, right? Like if they yes. could be, and and I think I agreed with a lot of your answers, Koo. I think a lot of our guys could be rotation guys. Like to me, we have a lot of guys that fit that mold. But you're not going anywhere. Like, 
I know we talk about the best five alive in that squad, and that was such a perfectly built team. And we obviously don't even have guys at that level yet, but I just truly think that you have to have a super special group that fits exactly perfect, or you need to at least one franchise changing guy with another, a second superstar or at least star or something like that. Like I just, I think you need that in today's NBA. And right now, again, I just don't think we have that guy and I could be wrong. Some people may disagree. They may think Killian or Bay or Stewart are going to become that. I see them as really, really good players but I don't see them as franchise-changing number one option guys. Well, time will tell. I guess that's why they hired John Beeline. We'll see how he works. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll tell in a few years, and we'll see if John Beeline paid off. So, all right, so we're going to get into some of the mailbag questions that you guys sent to us. We didn't get very many, but that's fine. We'll accept the ones that were given. Uh, so first one, and by the way, if you guys are still listening, everyone that's still here, it does not have to be just about the Pistons. It could be about the NBA. It could be about my life, life in general. It could be about food, video games, like anything. You can just ask, just ask away. It doesn't have to be just Pistons. I know there's not like amazing Piston content out there to talk about right now, especially in the offseason during the playoffs. So you can legit ask me about the playoffs. You can ask me about anything. But first question is from JT Olson. He asked about the, the playoffs. He says, are you taking the winner of the Nets versus Bucks series to win the championship or the field? Bryce, do you think that the winner of the Bucks uh, Nets series are going to win the championship? Or would you rather bet your money on the field to win? Ooh, this is a good question. It um, is. I like this question when I saw it. I'm going to take the winner. And I'll be honest, Koo, my answer has changed in the last, however, like 24 hours, right? So Anthony Davis isn't playing tonight. Embiid went down last night and isn't playing, what would it be, game five for the Sixers? So, I mean, those would have – I really thought the Lakers were going to make a run from the play-in game all the way, like just another, you know, story, another notch for LeBron James going from the play-in to there. With, I know there's context around why they were there. But, I, ah, man, the Bucks look good. The Nets – I, I would t- – if I had to put money on it that was significant to me, I would take the winner of that series. And I know that's crazy to do it against the field, but I would. Yeah, I think you mentioned at the end, usually like betting, you wouldn't want to like – Usually you take the field every time. Like, I don't think that it would probably be smart money to do it. But in this scenario, I agree with you. I also am taking the winner of that series because of the reasons you listed out. The West is just ravaged by injuries. <laughs> like, I think Denver Nuggets probably could have won the championship this yep. year if Jamal Murray doesn't go down. Uh, same thing with Lakers. Lakers obviously would be contenders if AD. And, and honestly, AD, even if he comes back and they do somehow pull it out the first round, he's not going to be 100%. So I, I don't know if I can trust them at all. And also, LeBron may not be 100% right now. They're also dealing with injuries to KCP. So uh, they're ravaged by injuries. Uh, I, I feel like the one team, though, and I, I mentioned this a few pockets ago, and I was laughed at by Hal at that time because it wasn't <laughs> looking good for them at that point. However, it's 2-2 now in that series, and the Clippers are looking yep. really good. Yes. Kawhi yes, is dominating. So, And Paul George, I, I tweeted this out. I was defending him. Paul George has been looking really good as well, and he deserves his credit after all this, uh, the blasphemy he's been getting thrown his way. Cool. So, they, were, they were good all year, Koo, until and then they took the heat at the end because they tanked to avoid the Lakers and whatever else. But those two guys balled out all year, and nobody talked about him because of the what happened in the playoffs. But you're right. They look like the most dangerous team in the West right now. And I know this isn't a team I was high on either, Koo. But I really like the Utah Jazz right now. If Donovan Mitchell can be that dude, if he can be a closer for that team, because they're going to be good for three and a half quarters. But if Donovan Mitchell can be a closer and he looks really good since he came back, that's a team I'm higher on than I was all year as well. But you, you're spot on about the Clippers. Yes. I, the, the Jazz is – we talked about this on Locker Room. 
I just need to see it from them. I, I'm really hesitant to believe that a team without multiple superstars can win a championship Agreed. in these days. But if the Jazz pull it off, I'll be happy as hell to see it happen. I think they have a chance to. We'll see what happens. But I think I'll take the winner of the Brooklyn Nets and Bucks series. I think those two teams are probably the the best teams right now in the playoffs. And I think the only team honestly challenged them, like I said, the Clippers. And I think the Clippers – I think in a week – I'll probably change my answer to the Clippers because if the Clippers get by the, the Mavs and continue to look like this, like a Kawhi Leonard, I believe I saw that he's averaging like 34 points and like 50, 50, 50 shooting. Like he's his true shooting percent, I believe was like 64% or something like he's out of, he's, uh, he, he's absurd. He's crazy. He's one of the best playoff performers in like in history. He, yeah. when he gets in the playoffs, he's, he's absurd. So I don't know. I think the I, Clippers could do it, but I'll I just did a yes on the answer. I just did a breakdown of his from game, what would be game four, and I looked up the stats from the last three games, not including the first game of the series, and he's shooting something ridiculous, like 72% from the field and 60% from three in the last three games. Like Even though they lost game two, he was ridiculously high efficient in that game, and then it's just carried over to games three and four. I love Luka Doncic. I think he's big time. He definitely needs a second guy. Um, I think the Clippers are going to end up winning that one in six. I, th- I think they're going to win five, games five and six and, and and move on to the semis. Yeah, I agree with you. So, But I, I, for the question right now, I guess I will I will say that I think the Nets and the Bucks, whoever wins the next Bucks series, God, I can't speak right now, uh, ends up winning the championship. So I'll, I'll take that one as well. Um, next question is from Brady Grenier. He says, if there's a way to package one of the trade targets you talked about in the last podcast, Josh, Mason and Seku. Now our seconds to move into the first round of the draft. Who would you be looking at in terms of prospects? Now I'm not a like a prospect guy. I'm I'm not a great draft guy, but I'm going to have a lot of guests on that that probably have a lot more IQ on it than I do. Bryce, do you know any prospects that you'd be looking at that aren't top five prospects, but prospects that could be like in the mid tier of the first round or later on in the first round that you would be okay with the Pistons going after to trade into the first round and get. So I, I'm with you, Koo. I, I've said this before. I'm not a draft guy. I kind of try to stay in my lane and I just listen to the guys that do that for a living. So I have a few guys on Twitter that I really follow and trust. And I don't know where we're you know, saying this guy. Here's what's crazy about the draft, Koo. After you get past the top four or five, it's all over the place. Like you can find a guy like, Corey Kisper as number seven, you can find him at number 20. Same thing with Wagner from Michigan. You can find him at, I've seen him as a number five on somebody's big board, and then somebody else has him number 20. The guy I really like that I would love to see in Detroit is James Booknight. I am sold on James Booknight as a high-level scorer, and so I, I don't know, like that's one name. And then here's another one, Kai Jones, the guy out of Texas. Huge, huge upside with Kai Jones. Um, another guy that people disagree on, but I'm kind of sold on on his upside and what his ceiling is. So those would be two guys that if we got into the back end of the lottery, may still would be there. They may not, but those are two names I really like from the guys I've talked to. Book Knight is the one that was rumored that Tory Weaver yes. is apparently really high on, right? Yes, yes, the guy out of Connecticut, big time score. Okay, well, Bryce has made my job a lot easier just now. He came, <laughs> thank God, he came with those those answers right there because, I, like I said, I'm not. I think the best thing he pointed out right there in that in that little answer he had is that I like to stay in my lane. It, it's better for like people to stay in their lanes and then have other people on or listen to other people and have them talk because I'd rather listen and learn than be ignorant and talk about something I don't know. So I, I think that's a good point to remember about 
all things in life. So there is Kukuhio's <laughs> lesson of the day. Uh, <laughs> but this is the last question. This is actually from my best friend. Um, he, uh, I've known him for like 11 years. I really appreciate that he always participates and supports the podcast. I appreciate it. So his name is Anthony. He says, how long before the Pistons are contenders again? Oh, so Bryce... I'm- how long do you think it's going to take until the Pistons are contenders again? And see, I think we're going to disagree with the, uh, on this one, Koo, because I've heard your answer on this and uh, a little bit. So I think if we land in the top three, if, if we get Cade, um, Mobley, or Jalen Green, and especially Cade or Jalen Green, because I think they're going to be more immediate impact than Mobley is. Mobley's a little more long-term. I think we're fighting for a play-in game next year to actually compete for like a championship I mean, I think you got to give it at least five years, though. Like, I, I think it's just completely crazy to think we're actually competing for a championship um, any sooner than, you know, five years from now. But actually, in the play-in game, I could see us, you know, fi- vying for number nine, number 10 next year, and then, you know, solidify our spot in the playoffs after that. But we got to go get that superstar if we want to start really talking about a championship contender. So I'm going to assume that Anthony is asking – uh, about like championship or at least Eastern okay. Conference Finals kind of thing. That's what I'm going to assume he's talking okay. about. And that answer, I'm going to say it, it ranges based off – like this lottery is going to change everything. Like it ranges of where the Pistons are going to place. Yes. Like if they get Cade, um, I, I could see – this is the thing. Like it's going to depend on so many things. I think if they get Cade along with Jeremy Grant, I think that's going to speed up their rebuild. I don't think they're going to be in like a – five-year rebuild if they get Cade and have Jeremy Grant on the team. I honestly could see if they get Cade that in like two years they pull a trigger on one of those big trades and try to – I mentioned this a few podcasts ago about small market teams and what they have to go through now to like entertain stars and make them feel like, oh, okay, I should stay here. Like if they were to get Cade, I think the Pistons would be as soon as they as soon as it says first overall pick, Cade Cunningham to the Detroit Pistons, instantly they're on the clock yes. to to prove to him that we're going to be a good franchise for him. So I could honestly see if they pull Cade in the draft, like in two years they make a trade for like a star or like packing some of these young guys to get a star. And then I could say like maybe four to five years they could be in contention for stuff if Cade is like as, as great as he's built to, to be. Um, if they don't get Cade, I think we're then looking at about – Again, this all changes if, if Troy Weaver pulls the trigger on like a trade for a star at some point with these young assets. But I think I would probably say like six, seven years away, really from contention. Uh, that, it kind of sucks to say that and think about. And once again, this could all change it's simply by a trade if he if Troy Weaver pulls the trigger on getting a getting a star and giving giving away some of these young players. And also, it could change if Killian Hayes reaches some of the ceilings that you guys have him at. Uh, and also, like, if they get Jalen Green or something, maybe he hits the ceiling that some of the people have him at. But I think realistically, you, you're looking at, like, maybe six years, seven years if they don't get Cade. Well, and the other thing, Ku, again, not to keep bringing up the free agency thing, but we, we're going to have cap space after next season when the Blake contract comes off. So what if we do get Cade and then some free agent is attracted to come play with Cade and Killian Hayes? Like, why would you not want to play with two of the best passers, you know, young passers in the league? You know, you, you, I would assume that that would be very attractive to a, another young scar, uh, star who wanted to score the ball. So I think anything less than five years is crazy. And I think you're right. It's hard to say six, seven, eight years because that just seems like so long um, to wait. But that's probably the more realistic answer, right, is that we're going to have to wait until the back end of the 2020s before we're really looking at, at being a champion, championship team again. 
So I, I think before we end the podcast, I think one of the things that's cool to watch about NBA teams is I think a lot of these teams that you say these things about, like you'll say like six, seven years, like they're far away down the line. And then a lot of times, at least in my experience with it, is that a lot of times with these teams, like something happens and it completely changes. And now sure. they're in contention yep. two to three years. Yep. Like I, I think it can change on, a, on, on like a snap of a finger, just on one move, one hit. You could hit like, like Indiana got Paul George instantly. Like it was like that two years, three years. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals playing LeBron. In the, in the, the Raptors in the got Finals. Kawhi Leonard, right? The Raptors get Kawhi yeah. Leonard. And I know they were good before that, but all of a sudden, like now you're going and winning a championship or, you know, injuries happen. And now all of a sudden your path, I, I know people don't want to, I don't want to take away from people's championship because it's so hard to win a championship, but you know, somebody, LeBron, okay, here's the thing. LeBron moves from the East to the West. Now the East is more open. So your path to a championship is easier in that conference. So you're so, you're, you're completely right, Ku. The landscape can change in a snap of a finger. Yep, exactly. And I think, like I said, it, it can change through a trade. And Bryce brought it up through free agency, which I, I've already told you guys on like, I believe two pockets ago, why I believe the business could become a decent or good free agent destination in the future. So I guess we'll have to wait and see it. Safe answer would be like six years for me, I guess. But I could I could see like things happening. I can already like actually I, I'll make a hot take right now. I'm making a prediction right now. I'm I'm going to say it right now. I think Troy Reaver is in fact stackpiling treasure assets right now to make a move to get a star in like the next two to three years. I think it's going to happen. That that's my prediction right now. I think in the next like two to three years, we're going to see a massive trade happen where he gives up a lot of these young players he's been getting to go get somebody. That's my prediction. We'll see if it happens. You guys can remember this, mark it down your calendar, put it down your phone, put a reminder two years from now on June 1st, whether it happens. And then you can come back and let me know if it did or not. (laughs) Love it. I love it, man. (laughs) But thank you guys for listening to today's podcast. Thank you all, uh, the ones who submitted questions. I appreciate it. And also, Bryce, thank you for coming on, man. I love having you on. You'll be a reoccurring guest. This is not the last time he'll be on here. He'll be on here a lot. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, Koo. You know I love it. Like I told you, man, when I got the message that you wanted me on, I was I was juiced. I was going to do whatever I had to to make it work timing-wise. And so I'll come on anytime, man. I appreciate it. And make sure, go ahead and plug everything that you be doing. Cause I know that you, I saw that, like, obviously you'd be doing the film breakdowns, but I also saw that apparently you have this podcast that you do with, uh, I, I don't know who, what, I forgot his name, but I know you do a podcast. Yeah. Go ahead and plug that. Yeah. So Motor City Hoops is our Twitter. I do all the breakdowns on there and we have a podcast. So check that out. You know, whenever you're done with Locked On Pistons, go over there. But me and Lance Caparossi from Everything Pistons podcast started in Everything Hoops one where, you know, if you want something beyond just straight Pistons content, we just talk hoops. So like this last week, we had Derek Mercer on who was in the book, uh, The Miracle of St. Anthony. He was my college teammate. And we just talked hoops. You know, we talked about high school game or the high school programs, forming a league and that stuff. So just an all around basketball podcast if you're interested in that. So that, that's everything hoops. Yeah, I'm going to say this right now. Bryce, if not by like next year, should have like 10K followers. Because I, I'm not joking. I'm not hyping him up just to hype him up because he's on the podcast. He's, his film breakdowns are great. And I think the main, I think another thing that NBA Twitter needs more of, in my opinion, is are not just, there's a lot of people who played the game and just like not smart about the game. Like they played it, they were good, but they're not smart about it. So you don't want to hear them. But I think, I think there's a lot of, you need more people who have played the game at high, higher levels, who are invested in film breakdowns, invested in the actual teaching of the game and know what they're talking about. And Bryce 100% is that. And I think that he has going to, he is going to go big places on Twitter and, and get a big following. So definitely if you guys are not following him already, 
make sure you do that. His film breakdowns legit are, are incredible. I appreciate Twitter. that, Koo, man. For real, I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So if you guys haven't already, make sure you guys leave a review down below. If you guys want to ask a question down below, make sure you guys give me five stars and leave a review and ask a question and that. That's fine as well. You guys can follow me on Twitter at MBA. And until the next podcast on Thursday, which should be the 3rd of June, I believe. I'll see you guys then. Peace out, everybody. Have a great day. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible T-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.